Welcome to this episode of the Greenville Oaks Message Broadcast. The mission of the Greenville Oaks Church of Christ is to inspire people to follow Jesus because we are convinced that following Jesus is the best way of life possible. Find out more about Greenville Oaks or connect with us online at greenvilleoaks.org. As always, we ask that you subscribe to, rate, and review our podcast. It makes it easier for others to find us. And now, on to this week's message with Lead Minister Colin Packer. as we open our time in the Word this morning. Our God and our Father, we come before you today as grateful people, knowing that another week has been given to us when that's less certain in these times than what we often take for granted. So this morning, God, in the midst of whatever anxiety or fear we may be feeling, whatever fatigue or just wanting for this phase to end so that we can get back to the normal flow of our lives, We take in this moment as an opportunity and a gift to us to be able to assess our relationship with you, to assess where we are spiritually as we realize the addictions and commitments that we are now lacking, that we realize that sometimes we put in front of you. God, there's an opportunity in this moment to step forward in faith and to grow our spiritual lives and for you through your spirit to do that. And so we want to invite you in this time of teaching to speak. I pray this morning you would pour through me the gift of preaching so that Christ would be formed in our hearts. And it's in the name of Jesus that we pray this prayer. And everyone in every living room said, Amen. Well, I don't usually mention my uh, sermon titles in a sermon. They usually uh, are used more as placeholders or places you can go back and look in the archive. But I like this title a lot this week, and so I want to share it with you. The title for this morning's sermon is Putting the Fear in Fear Mongers. The title is going to make sense a little bit later in the sermon, but this title is a bit of a callback to a sermon that I preached earlier this year, back in the month of January, which seems probably like two years ago at this point. But it was a series that I did through the book of Ecclesiastes to begin the year. And uh, it does feel like two years ago, January, doesn't it? Uh, I've been going through a lot this last week, just a little bit of what's going on in my life. Uh, we're teaching our kids at home. We're engaging them on a regular basis, trying to keep things busy and, and well-oiled in the, in the family. And uh, I don't know about any of you. Are you, any of you tired of watching Reading Rainbow or Elmo uh, this week? Not everyone, obviously, is in that age group, but that's where I am. I, I'm already out of date. I'm sure there's newer shows, Paw Patrol. I don't know what the newest ones are out there. Our youngest is five. But on the bright side, as parents, we're learning a lot of things we've forgotten from elementary school, maybe middle or high school. Some of you have to learning new ways of doing math that they're doing now that we didn't learn ourselves. Uh, For example, this week, I learned there are over 4,675 species of lizards. If you didn't know that, that's uh, a brand new fact for you. And catch this, the state reptile of Texas is the Texas horned lizard. sometimes known as the horned frog. Uh, So just a fun fact for you. Expect more of those in future sermons as I update my science and social studies. How many of you are tired of peanut butter and jelly sandwiches this week? Well, just a special hint for you. 
Uh, put your turkey on Hawaiian uh, bread rolls. Those are great, and it's a lot better than just regular bread that you're used to with the wheat, okay? So, and if that's all you have, that'll work for communion today as well. At the end of the series, in that Ecclesiastes series I was mentioning earlier, I, uh, I mentioned that uh, we are familiar with terms warmongers and fearmongers. Right? A, a warmonger is someone who stirs up war wherever they go around. A fearmonger is someone who stirs up fear wherever they go around. But in that series, what I said in the book of Ecclesiastes is, why don't we become joymongers, right? In fact, this shirt that I have on today says joymonger on it. It was given to me by one of our administrative assistants, Teresa Shaw, which I just want to give a shout out to her. Thanks for the shirt. But it's a reminder to me in this season of our need to express joy and to be filled with joy. But this morning's sermon isn't about joy. It's about putting fear that we sometimes feel back in the hands of those who try to stir up fear in our lives. Putting fear in the fear mongers. That's actually what Jesus is up to when he enters into Jerusalem for the last week of his life. I want to pick up on that story on this Palm Sunday. In the book of Mark, if you have your Bibles with you, your phones, whatever it may be to connect with, I want to ask you to turn there. Mark chapter 11. I want to read this story of Palm Sunday, the triumphal entry. Mark 11, beginning in verse 1. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and just as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you doing this? Say the Lord needs it and will send it back here shortly. They went and found a colt outside in the street, tied at a doorway, As they untied it, some people standing there asked, What are you doing untying that colt? And they answered as Jesus had told them to, and the people let them go. When they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks over it, he sat on it. Many people spread their cloaks on the road, while others spread branches they had cut in the fields. Those who went ahead and those who followed shouted, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes In the name of the Lord, blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest heaven. Jesus entered Jerusalem and went into the temple courts. He looked around at everything, but since it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. Now in case there's any doubt, Jesus knows exactly what he's doing in this story. None of this story is accidental. He's doing something quite provocative in this story. He's poking the bear, if you will. He's putting fear in the fear monger of his day. Maybe we need some context to bring this story alive a bit. You see, it's Passover week in Jerusalem coming up. And it was a time when Roman religious leaders would have been on high alert. I'm sorry, political leaders would have been on that. Why? Because Passover was a celebration of a moment thousands of years before. It was a a passing over with the angel of death that came, the plagues in Egypt. The people of, of God were in slavery and God was freeing them. And he frees them from, well, a fear monger named Pharaoh in Egypt. And Passover was the time each year that the people of God rehearsed the story of God's deliverance in a previous era. And that meant there was a chance that revolutionaries might get an idea that God might do the same thing in the present. So Pilate, who is Caesar's governor over the province of Judea, was on duty in Jerusalem, keeping the peace. Pilate didn't live in Jerusalem normally. He lived in Jericho. I'm sorry, in Caesarea. And Caesarea was about 50 miles from Jerusalem. 
So in order to get to Jerusalem, he would have had to have ridden into the city, maybe on a a horse of some kind, who knows. And, And as an important official, he would have received a welcome as he entered the city. People would have greeted him at the gate, sang his praises, speeches would have been given in his honor. He would have strolled then right into the temple to offer sacrifices to the Roman gods. You can see the similarities here, though, in these stories, can't you? Pilate entering the story in a similar way, and then Jesus entering into the story. Jesus is welcomed by a crowd that sings his praises. They sing Hosanna, which means, God, save us. Save us now. It's a cry of desperation for a deliverer who will save them. It sounds a lot like the Exodus story, isn't it? They lay down their cloaks, the people. Lay down their palm branches. These are signs of honor. This is a royal welcome for Jesus. But then again, it's not exactly a royal welcome, is it, when you look at the details? Do you notice what Jesus is riding on? Jesus is riding on a colt and a borrowed one at that. He has to borrow a donkey, and in a week he's going to have to borrow a tomb for just a few days. Not exactly the transportation fit for a king. See, Caesar would have come in riding on a white war horse. It would have shown that he was the one who was in charge, that he had the Roman military at his disposal. Jesus comes riding in on a donkey. Now, now why would Jesus be riding in on a donkey? I think Jesus is doing street theater here. If he's king, he should be riding in on a big, impressive horse so that all the people will understand that Jesus has power, has authority, has clout, has intelligence and wealth. But instead, he rides in on a donkey. Donkeys aren't exactly animals of war. They're agrarian animals. This is meant to be humorous. Mother Teresa was once asked, the the Nobel Peace Prize winner, a a, a reporter asked her after winning that, that prize, you're not used to receiving all these accolades. How do you keep from, uh, from going, this going to your head? She said, do you think the donkey that Jesus rode into Jerusalem thought the accolades, the singing, and the shouting were for him? It's a good response. See, Jesus takes these elements from the first century world, and he turns them upside down. God entered the world, how? On a silent night, in a manger. An odd beginning to the story. But this is how God works. See, Mark 11 is like a... Saturday Night Live presidential skit performed on the week before Passover. Jesus is standing up to the only empire on the planet, the one who crucifies dissidents. Jesus is standing up. See, the cross was was Caesar's tool to create fear because Caesar was a fear monger like Pharaoh had been years before. And Caesar's tool of the cross was to force compliance of anyone who might think about insurrection on a Passover week such as this. But Jesus isn't afraid. If you want to know how to put fear into a fear monger, there's one clear way. Refuse to be afraid in the face of threats. Those fear mongers can't stand it when you do that. And Jesus' refusal to be afraid in this moment sets a precedent for his followers to the very, uh, up to our very own day. A few decades after the cross and the resurrection that we'll celebrate next Sunday, a follower of Jesus named Paul is headed on his own journey to Jerusalem with his own reasons to be afraid of what may be waiting on him there. This story is found in the book of Acts, uh, chapter 20. I want to read from verses 22 and 23 right now. This is Paul relating what's coming up for him. It says there, And now, compelled by the Spirit, I, this is Paul writing, am going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. 
I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. How does he know that's what's ahead? How does he know that Jerusalem is such a dangerous place? Well, earlier in his life, before uh, Paul became Paul, he was known as Saul. That was his given name growing up before God changed his life. And as a young man, Saul had spent time in Jerusalem. In fact, he'd spent time there persecuting and overseeing the death of Christians. Acts 7 tells the story of the first Christian martyr that we read about in Scripture. Stephen was his name. Guess where Stephen's murder took place? It took place in Jerusalem. And guess who's present in Jerusalem in leadership, approving, holding the coats of others who were stoning him in that moment? It's Saul, this guy who becomes Paul a bit later. So in Acts chapter 20, when Paul says he's uncertain about his future in Jerusalem, it's understandable why he would be concerned because he knows what's await, what awaits. He knows the community he had left to become a Christian himself. He personally knows and has seen with his own eyes Christians who've died in that city before. And he knows he might be the next one to go. But in the midst of all that fear and trepidation of what awaits him, listen to where Paul's confidence comes from in verse 24. However, Paul writes, I consider, or he, he says, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me. The task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. That's a big shift that's happened between Acts 7 and Acts 20. In, in Acts chapter 7, Paul is willing to kill to approve of the death of Stephen in order to prevent this heresy he believes at the time from getting out. Why does he approve of the killing of Stephen? Well, for the same reason that Jesus was put to death on a cross uh, years before. See, the cross was a deterrent. The cross was Rome's way of striking fear into citizens to compel them into good behavior and compliance with the Roman way. Rome knew how to use people's slavery to the fear of death hearkening back to Hebrews 2 that we've spent time in in this series. He knew, they knew how to use it against people. They were fear mongers. And Paul was once a fear monger who used fear to prevent converts in the past. Saul was at one point willing to use the threat of death to prevent people from following Jesus. And yet near the end of his life, Paul is so committed to Jesus and his way that he's willing to risk death. To share the good news with others. Paul ends his life unafraid of death. And that's a good place to be. You know, one of the key things I've learned in this series of lessons is this. If you're afraid to die, people can exploit that fear. But if you become so confident in God and in his love for you, it's possible to stare down anything, even death, without fearing. And when you're no longer afraid of death, everyone loses their power over you, even the fear mongers. At least that's what Paul uh, talks about in Philippians chapter 1. Now what I'm about to read to you in Philippians 1, if you want to turn there with me, is very relevant to our lives right now. And I want to tell you why. See, the book of Philippians was written by Paul while he's a prisoner. He's in Rome and he's in house arrest. Did you catch that? Paul's under house arrest, which is another way of saying Paul is it's experiencing shelter in place for a season. Are, are you paying attention now? 
By the way, if this connects with you, the series I'm going to do following Easter actually has all to do with uh, the books that Paul writes while he's in prison, while he's stuck in house arrest and quarantine of sorts. So I'm excited to share more about this in the days to come. But listen to what he writes while stuck in a house somewhere in Rome. Listen to this in Philippians chapter 1, verse 20. He writes these under house arrest in similar conditions to what we may be facing ourselves. He says, I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now as always Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I don't know. I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far, but it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. See, Paul is stuck in this house under arrest. He doesn't know if he's going to make it out of Rome when he's writing these words. The supreme fear monger in Rome is a guy named Nero. He put to death a lot of Christians before, and it may happen, and it will happen, actually, that he'll, he'll oversee Paul's death. As I think about this moment we're in, I think about Paul's response. Paul basically says, look, Nero can do with me whatever he wants. But to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I go on living, I can do freight, fruitful work for God. But if I go on to die, I get to be with Christ. Imagine if Emperor Nero intercepted or somehow read this letter to the Philippian church. What control can Emperor Nero have over Paul's life if Paul isn't even afraid of death anymore? Nothing. Paul isn't afraid. And if you want to know how to put fear into a fear monger, there's clearly one way to do it. Refuse to be afraid through whatever threats they may bring your way. They can't stand that one bit. Wouldn't you love to live with that kind of confidence? That when the market collapses, I'm not afraid. When the Supreme Court makes a decision differently than we'd like on our own, I'm not afraid. When my job comes into question, I'm not afraid. When the coronavirus threatens my life, even then, I'm not afraid. Recently, I was uh, listening to a a second time to an interview that I listened to a few years ago with a man named Kent Brantley. I don't know if that name is familiar to you, but if it sounds familiar, it's because Kent Brantley was one of two medical missionaries serving in Monrovia, Liberia, who uh, contracted the Ebola virus in July of 2014. Kent's actually a member of Churches of Christ who went to a, a school named Abilene Christian University. He was there when I was in school at that time. And in the interview I was listening to, Kent referenced a letter It was written by Martin Luther. Martin Luther wrote this letter in 1527. The title of the letter was, Whether One May Flee from a Deadly Plague. Martin Luther wrote this during the bubonic plague, which was killing 30 to 60% of the population. And Luther's advice to Christians was this. If you feel the need to leave or to flee, that's fine. But if you stay where you are and care for those who are suffering from this plague and die as a result, you are dying a good death. I found that to be a remarkable thought by Luther. Think about our medical professionals, healthcare professionals, Christians and others around the world that are sacrificing themselves. If you choose to stay and serve and you end up dying, 
He says, it'll be a good death. And that's exactly what Martin Luther and his pregnant wife did. They stayed in the city of Wittenberg during this time. And though their lives were spared, one of their daughters ended up dying as a result of their decision. And apparently that decision by Martin Luther impacted Kent Brantley, who decided to stay in Liberia despite the risks that would come. That was taking almost everyone in, uh, and and. And their chances were not great he would survive Ebola if he contracted it. And sure enough, he did. And in that interview that I listened to, this is what Kent said. He said, what keeps us from really living our lives all out for God ultimately boils down to the fear of death, which is what we've been talking about the last few weeks. But then he said, if we don't fear death, what can we not do for God? He said, if God is really our ultimate desire, the source of our ultimate joy, if there's nothing that we want in this life more than to be with God, then death really is gain. Because death is finally when we get to be in the presence of God. And he said, and I realize if I had died in Liberia, it would have been gain. Isn't that remarkable? Sounds almost like the very words of Martin Luther, which sounds very much like the words of Paul. In Philippians 1, which sounds a whole lot like the very character of Jesus, who rode into Jerusalem on a donkey on a Palm Sunday nearly 2,000 years ago. And when Jesus did that, Pilate didn't have a clue what to do about it. And when Paul was in house arrest talking about it, it didn't matter if he died or lived, Nero didn't know what to do about it. And Luther and Brantley stared the bubonic plague and Ebola down, and Satan didn't know what to do about it. If you want to strike fear and a tyrant and cancer and the coronavirus, choose fearlessness. Because fearlessness is the only thing that can strike fear in a fearmonger. And if there's anything this world needs today, it's a bunch of people who refuse to allow the coronavirus to fill us with fear. Amen? God, we, uh, we hear these stories from Paul and from Jesus, from Martin Luther and from Kent Brantley. And we can't imagine what we would do in those scenarios. And right now we're facing some of the same questions and problems. There's a lot of uncertainty. We don't know what the future holds. And yet what we do know is what you've promised us throughout Scripture. And that's not that fear isn't a reality in our lives or there aren't things to fear. But it is a command not to fear because you are with us through it all. And God, right now we, uh, we want to call on you to, to bring healing, to bring restoration, to, protect, to bring protection. God, we want to give you glory. And one of the ways you can, can bring glory to yourself is through healing people of this disease, through working through the medical community, through doing whatever means you want to do, your will. Our, pray is, our prayer is, God, what Jesus taught us to pray in the Sermon on the Mount. That your kingdom would come, that your will would be done on earth as it already is in heaven. And yet we know sometimes, God, you choose to bring yourself glory through weakness, through difficulty, and through us maintaining our faith in the midst of real challenge. We are not promised a certain future, God. But we are promised your presence. And right now, God, we want to live fearlessly in the midst of the anxiety, in the midst of the struggle, in the midst of the worry, in the midst of all that fear. God, would you fill us with a peace that surpasses all understanding. 
And God, I pray that we can be the church on the move in this season and this time. That people would tell stories about this generation in the same way they told stories about Martin Luther's. In the same way they tell stories about Kent Brantley. In the same way they told stories about Paul. In the same way we still tell stories about Jesus. And so God, would you move and work through us? Would you fill us to be your hands and your feet in the world? We pray all this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from the Greenville Oaks Message Broadcast. We hope this message helps you to inspire people to follow Jesus because you're convinced, like we are, that following Jesus is the best way of life possible. Connect with us on Facebook. You can find and like our page at Greenville Oaks. Discover more about the Greenville Oaks Church online at greenvilleoaks.org.